The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his, pro- his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. 
A week ago, Lou and I were about to end our trip to California. Uh, I had taken some vacation time and spent a bit of time with my parents. And then about the middle of the week, we went on to a conference, uh, the conference of the Consortium of Endowed Episcopal Parishes. Now, I wasn't there because we're an endowed parish, <laughs> since we are not. <laughs> One priest, by the way, was very concerned about his endowed parish. He said that 80% of their budget came from the endowment because stewardship was so poor. So there are some problems with endowments. But I was there because of a Lilly Foundation grant, and it's a part of a program that Becky and I are taking part in for mentoring. So it was a wonderful conference, uh, excellent workshops, and one speaker in particular I found interesting, somebody I've read over the years, theologian Stanley Hauerwas. Uh, he teaches at Duke uh, Divinity School. He began by saying that he had been a Methodist most of his life, but that now he was attending an Episcopal church. And he said he realized it was an Episcopal church when they referred to the basement as the undercroft. <laughs> and then he quickly added, in the Episcopal Church, no pretension goes unused. <laughs> well, I've been reminded of uh, Harawas's uh, admonition to us, I think, about our pretentiousness, as I have seen the preparations for the election of a new pope. And then I thought about all that the Church of England goes through as they pick a new, a new um, uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. The church is, is just in a sea of pretension, it seems. Uh, it, we are, after all, a human institution. And we take on everything that institutions take on over the years. And we've had centuries to do it. And the Catholic Church, I think, does it particularly well. <laughs> but we, we take a close second, I think. But I find myself struggling with the institution of the church. And I struggle with it because I sometimes think that it consumes so much in the way of time and resources, where those resources could be devoted to a very simple, very clear kind of ministry the sort of ministry that Jesus was holding up before the Pharisees and the scribes. And this chapter in Luke, in particular, uh, brings this all up in me, because I think in this chapter we see the simplicity of Jesus' ministry and the model that he holds up for ministry. But we also, I think, see the good news that he was proclaiming. The chapter begins with these words. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I wondered how many of our churches might be a little bit like that. The idea of welcoming sinners, that's our task. Of course, all of us are sinners, so we are partially right, perhaps. <laughs> but that's the job that's before us, to welcome sinners. Well, Jesus responds to the scribes and Pharisees with three stories, and they're very provocative stories. You'll recall them, I'm sure. But the first is about the shepherd who leaves the 99 and looks for the one. And then when he finds that one, he throws a party. 
And then the woman who has ten coins and has lost one. And she turns the house upside down, looking everywhere for the coin, the one coin that she could not find. When she finds it, she throws a party. And then the parable of the man with the two sons, the one that I just read, where the son had squandered the inheritance. And finally realizing he, he comes home and seeks to be received as a son again, although he knows he's not worthy. And the father is so delighted that he throws a party. Now, there is a theme running through that. <laughs> it's throwing the party. <laughs> God is so happy when we come home that God throws a party. It's the great banquet that's going to be laid out before us at some point far in the future. where we're all gathered and party with God. These stories are wonderful stories, I think, and they they bring up in us so many questions sometimes. You know, I've always wondered how he could walk away, the shepherd, and leave those 99 and look for just the one. But you've got to kind of get beyond that. It's the looking for the one that is so important. That third story, the one that I read to you this morning from Luke's Gospel, is sometimes referred to as the most masterful short story in all of literature. And I don't know if every time I read it, I don't know if you experienced it as you heard it, it, it really gets you viscerally. It's not just something you take in intellectually. It gets to your heart. The story is about a man with two sons. We can all find ourselves in different places in this story, I'm sure. And the one young son asks for his inheritance. And in that culture, that was almost like wishing for his father to be dead. It had, had kind of an other layer over it. The father agrees. The son goes off. He squanders the fortune. And finally, he found, finds himself almost starving, wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. And he, he takes up work in what must be one of the most dishonorable jobs that a Jewish man could take, keeping the pigs. And finally, he hits bottom. And when he does he realizes that he needs to be back with his father. And so he does return. But what's so important to see is that the father has been watching for the son. The father has been waiting for the son to return. The son comes and admits that he's not worthy to ever return as a son again. He just wants to work as a hired man, which would put him even lower than the slaves in the household of his father. But the father receives him as a son, kills the fatted calf, upsets his brother, understandably. How many times have you seen it happen in other families when one child seemed to get more attention than the other? And it's very hard for the one who has been faithful, who's been there, who never went astray, who never did anything wrong, who was always the good child. And the one who is acting up and did all the bad things comes back, and it's as though that's the one who's so special. Many families, I think, have been troubled by that. But even though we might find ourselves in a lot of different places in that story, I want us to focus particularly on the forgiveness of the Father. I think it's so important for us to see that the Father had forgiven even before the Son had come to ask for forgiveness. 
the theologian Robert Capon uh, pointed this out when he said that forgiveness precedes confession. The father had forgiven long before the son came running back up the long driveway. The father had forgiven and the father was willing to receive him back. This uh, past Sunday, a week ago, we were in Edward Harrison's church. Now, some of you remember Edward from his time here as an assistant, I think early in David Barney's uh, time. And uh, we were in his church at Christ Church on Coronado Island. A wonderful church. We had a wonderful time of worship with them. But one of the things that happened in that worship that surprised me a bit, but delighted me as well, was that after the celebration of the Eucharist, just before receiving communion, we said together the prayer of humble access. Now, some of you have probably never heard this prayer because it was most used in Rite One or in the 1928 prayer book. It was written by Thomas Cranmer in 1548, and it's been a part of all of our prayer books. But there's a place in that prayer that I think connects directly with what the story of the prodigal son is about. It goes like this. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always, always to have mercy. That's the God we worship. A God who always has mercy. And it's not about our being okay. It's not about our meeting all the rules and regulations. It's not about how we prepare ourselves as much as it is how God has prepared for us. In baptism, we are forgiven not just for the sins that we have committed, but for all the sins we will commit in the future. We are forgiven before, during, and after our sin. And the forgiveness comes for one reason, because of the reconciling work of Christ. And nowhere is that more clearly stated than in the second lesson this morning from 2 Corinthians. And in it it says, In Christ, God has, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I'll read it one more time. It's so important. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's why the image that we are given in the baptism of a baby is so important. Because a baby being baptized has no idea what is happening to them. They can't prepare for it. They can't go to confession before they're baptized. They just are, and they're loved and forgiven by God. That's the image, I think, that we need to hold for ourselves. We can't make ourselves clean, but God can, and Christ has. So, as we come nearer to this uh, ending of Lent, I pray that for each of us, we have a growing awareness, not just of our sinfulness, but of the forgiveness of God and the fact that we are forgiven, not because of what we do, but because there is a forgiver. And that is God. May you have a clear awareness 
that you are loved and you are forgiven. Amen.